Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economic. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches they never changed anything.
Colorado Springs home. Now the homeowner will take them to court. Yeah, we first told you last night about the homeowner who says her home is really just being held hostage. She's a single mom trying to pay her son's medical bills. She now lives in New Hampshire and needs to quickly sell her Colorado Springs home, but those squatters won't leave. Only KRDO News Channel 13's Emily Allen confronted the squatters. James and Heather, the squatters were supposed to clear out by noon today. But they made it very clear they do plan to stay. I ask you a few questions. They park in the garage, they play in the backyard, and they even get packages delivered. 
But realtor Linda Shower will tell you they don't belong there. I don't want to call them names, but I, I think they're just, they're like cockroaches. They've gone into this house and they're not going to get out. Squatters live in Pauline Hawkins' home. They told her they'd been scammed into thinking the home was for rent. She allowed them to stay until Christmas. How could we know better when we would never even think of such a thing? We, we are the kind of people that are compassionate and trusting and loving. And when we see somebody in need, we lend a hand. Even if we don't have anything to give, we do what we can. She changed the lock. Hawkins and her realtor, Linda Shower, now know they made a big mistake. Letting them stay that week gave them legal protection. Now Hawkins will have to evict them as if they were her tenants, even though they aren't paying rent. I've never had this experience at, before in my career as a realtor. I've never had anybody break into a house and then claim it's theirs. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Oh. Are you guys going to be out by noon today? Um, I don't think that's really any of your concern. So why do you guys feel privileged to stay at this house? Burglary in progress, 6334 Crystal Mountain Road. No, I'm not. The squatters were apparently put off by our questions. The woman tried to get us arrested. That didn't work. So Hawkins is now going to have to go to court in order to get her house back. Today she did end up hiring an attorney, and there's a group that stepped up to help raise money to cover some of those costs. So it all comes back to essentially squatters' rights. By letting them stay for that one week out of the goodness of their heart, now there's nothing they can do. There's no criminal action, even though these people are essentially living there, not paying anybody. Exactly. That's the crux of the problem, is she gave them that permission that one time, even though she had set a time limit on it, doesn't matter. It's now a civil issue, and police can't come in and kick her out. So she has to take this into the civil courts, and that could take an untold amount of time to resolve itself. Exactly. We know we don't know exactly how long it's going to take, but we do know that it's going to take several months. Yeah. Emily, thanks. Thanks so much. All right. Today it's my house. Um, this is part of what we're doing now getting into 2019 <clears throat> we're taking a problem and attaching a solution today's podcast is titled out by the first avoiding eviction the audio that I just played I've been caught that way too um, somebody needs to move. They need a little bit more time. So you being Mr. or Ms. Nice Guy says, okay, I'll, I'll give you a week or week or two more. Maybe even a month more. But the moment, and we'll have, we'll, we'll do a, an extended podcast on this topic because landlords or property owners need to know, um, and there's a distinction between landlords and property owners. In this case, I'm going to say property owner. The property owner needs to know something about contracts. The moment 
that, well, I'll, I'll give you some basics right now. There are two basic types of contracts, implied contracts and express contracts. Express contracts are an agreement. An agreement, I mean, excuse me, a contract is an agreement that can be enforced by law or enforced in the courts. That's the first thing. That's what a contract is. An agreement is basically a promise or a set of promises that may or may not be enforced by a court. A legal contract is a promise or a set of promises that can be enforced by the law or in a court, and an agreement. Because like I said, there's a, a distinction between an agreement and a contract. An agreement is a promise or a set of promises that may or may not be able to be enforced or backed by law in a court of law. Now, when it comes to contracts, there are two fundamentally distinctions of contracts, broad distinctions of contracts. There's, once again, express contracts and implied contracts. Express contracts are contracts that are reduced to writing. Implied contracts are not in writing. Now, in the case of the audio that I just played, the lady um, property owner and or landlord, there are distinctions, but we'll hold that for later, she invited the woman by her saying that you can stay an extra week or whatever it was. That's the invitation to contract. It's an offer. That's one of the fundamental requirements to get in entering into a contract. It's got to be an offer. When the person crossed the threshold, walked across, walked into the house, That was her acceptance. There was nothing in writing. There was just a verbal offer and a physical acceptance. They entered into a contract. It's an implied contract, not in writing, but nonetheless a legally binding contract. Thus, when the property owner or slash landlord called the police, there's nothing the police could do. Because that's a civil matter and not a law enforcement matter. And one of the things that we'll be doing with our school is basically we'll be going through law enforcement literacy, housing literacy, and all these different types of literacy. You know, a lot of people, because we even going to break down the word literacy. When you graduate, I mean, you go grades 1 through 12. Now, let's say you are an honor student and you go, all that says is 1 through 12 is you know how to read, write, and count. You're literate when it comes to knowing how to read, write, and do basic numbers. But there's a gazillion other literacies out here. And housing literacy is one of them. Law enforcement literacy is another one. 
that you that's where a lot of people get caught with their pants down. They're totally illiterate when it comes to other literacies that are required. They don't even know that they are other literacies. But people think, you know, well, I, I graduated from high school or whatever, and I got this Ph.D. in rocket science from Harvard. But then how come you're on skin row living at the Salvation Army dorm homeless? Because although you might be literate in rocket science, you are not literate in housing science or housing literacy. Word science means knowledge. Anyway, so that's what happened to this person. They entered into a contract that they didn't even know that was a contract. And um, one of the things we want to look at is applied law. Because you you can go to a number of lawyers, but you know, just like this lady hired a lawyer, and you know, you know a good example, and we'll do we'll do a case study of it one day where you can follow along with this online. The late Dr. Francis Quest Welsing, doctor now, medical doctor, she had a housing problem and a specialized housing problem. And she hired three different attorneys at three different times, paying God, God knows how much money. Let's say let's put a minimum of five. She spent five thousand dollars each. I'm just putting it out there because it was in D.C. So I'm just D.C. They charge two thousand dollars an hour just to go into court. So she spent a good amount of change between three different lawyers, but no results. One, she was housing, although a medical doctor, she was very literate in psychiatry. That was her lane. She was illiterate when it came to housing literacy, particularly zoning literacy and gentrification literacy. Totally illiterate in those two areas. And she hired three Lawyers, three attorneys who were also illiterate on it. Wait a minute, they graduated from law school. Well, as we all know, in law, all law school does is basically prepare you to take the bar examination in three, four years, or whatever it takes for you to sit down for that. That's all it does. It doesn't teach you anything about applied law. In the audio that I played a few minutes ago, the squatter was literate in applied law when it comes to buying more time to stay in that house. And to, to apply it, all they need to do is stay put. And to get that law, applied law, enforced by the locals, by the police, all they had to do was make a call to the police, and the police said, they had, hey, they, they're just following the law. Because that's, that's what we're going into, law enforcement literacy. The squatter was more law enforcement literate 
than the person that owned the property. This is stuff, in my opinion, that should be fundamentally taught in grades 1 through 12, but it's, it's, it's not. But that's a whole other podcast of why it's probably not. So, in any event, um, the property owner is going to have to spend some money. However, the squatter and different squatters have different agendas. But generally speaking, they know they're going to have to leave one day. They know they're going to have to leave one day. They know if they stand there tooth and nail to the end that eviction day is coming. And right now, what, I don't know what day is it? It's October 29th. The first is coming. Some some people are going to be listening to this podcast. You're going to have to be out by the first. You know you probably won't win in, in rent court or landlord tenant court, whatever they call it in your neck of the woods. You tried every trick in the book of applied law. You, you bought yourself three months, six months. Some of you have probably bought yourself two, three years of, you know, maneuvering the law in your neck of the woods. But there's nothing legally you can do, you know, on the first, you got to be out. So what what solution do you have? And then property owners and or landlords, what solution, because everything you tried legally through the court systems have not worked so far. You're frustrated and you're going broke. You might be behind on your, your, um, your mortgage payments if you got a mortgage on the house. You might end up losing the house to the sweater. It happens all the time. So what are some solutions for people who are facing eviction or foreclosure? What can they – what are some alternatives? Now, we've got one for you, that which we're, which we're going to put out there. Here in a few uh, minutes, actually. But before we do that, let's play another audio by a lady named Heidi Peterson. She's been on this live podcast before. Matter of fact, she helped us get started. But listen to Heidi Peterson's story out of Detroit. She may not be Goldilocks, but a woman makes herself right at home in a property that doesn't belong to her. Now, the homeowner wants this woman out of her house, but she's having a tough time giving the squatter the boot. Fox News' Taryn Asher live in Detroit with more on the intruder who just will not leave, Taryn. Yeah, and you know what? Um, we actually, she just came home right now, but we've been waiting to speak with her all night because the homeowner says that uh, she unlawfully walked into the house, took ownership of this house, and has been living there and refuses to leave. She just pulled up right now. And uh, before we get to our full story, ma'am, what do you have to say about that? Are you a squatter? I would like, no, I'm not. Why are you not a squatter? Uh, I would like to park my vehicle if you don't mind. Well, I, we would like to know because this woman says you moved in and you won't leave and she owns this well, house. I'll show you my credentials. It's, you know, why I'm here. 
Uh, she said that you said this was part of a program. Lane. I have yes, I have a construction lien for the repairs that I put into the house. Uh, someone had broken into the house on July the fourth, and they stripped through the radios, radiators, and I made a report. But she said that you broke into this house, and oh, you no. have been living here oh, no. because you said here. that you have the right to live yeah, here. I've released with her since uh, October 9, 2012, and then in February 2011, she at, we had to vacate because the boiler was damaged. The only thing I took, I owned Little Easter Publishing Company. I took all my books and my writings. All right, well, time, she, but my furnitures were still left in here. One more, one more thing. She also said that you said that this was part of a program, that you felt that anybody who can go into Detroit, take over an abandoned house, and live there. Well, I'm an advocate for affordable housing. That's a part of my campaign as a U.S. writing. Did you say that to her, and do you believe that? Well, I believe that since I met her, the first time I met her when I was running for state senate, 2010, and she was also running for political office. That was a part of my belief. I signed an oath pledging that I okay. would fight for affordable homes. All right, well, ma'am, maybe we can talk to you about this a little bit more in a moment. There's a lot to this story. Take a look what the homeowner had to say about this. You can't get any houses like this anywhere in America, especially for this price. Heidi Peterson always dreamed of living in an historical home. In May of 2010, she bought this one in Detroit's Boston Edison District for $23,000. After being away for a year, she returned home last week and realized she got way more than she bargained for. I told her it was my house. She says a woman was living in her house, the one who put her pictures on the mantle. Heidi learned from neighbors she'd been living there for a few months. Heidi claims the squatter changed the locks, reworked the plumbing, replaced her appliances, put a lien on the house, and even changed the curtains. And now this squatter won't leave. She locked the door, so. So now they are forced to sleep one room away from each other. Heidi with her one-year-old daughter. People would find this odd that you're living with a squatter. I, that's, I guess, something that happens in Detroit. An unusual situation and, as we discovered, not your average squatter. Her name documented all over the house, missionary Tracy Elaine Blair, a write-in candidate for president. Do you feel safe? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what the capabilities are. We're afraid of of her mindset of entitlement. A squatter doesn't have a legal right to the property, but under the law, the homeowner cannot remove a squatter by force. In most cases, the homeowner has to file a civil action in court, prove it's their property, and evict the squatter. That's what Heidi is trying to do. She thinks that this is a program in Detroit to take people's homes and fix them up, and then she gets to keep them. Because Heidi spent all of her money on this house, she says she can't afford to go anywhere else. And until she can legally kick the woman out, they are forced to live under the same roof. I thought, if the house is not safe, how can I come here with my child? There's an issue with that. But should I lose my house to a squatter because I don't have rights to my property, or should I fight to get it back? And Heidi also claims that things have come up missing in her house, that it's certainly not the way that she left it. But, of course, you heard the woman, the supposed uh, squatter here, and she claims that there was a lease. Heidi said there was not. We have not been able to see 
see that, but she also says that she has the right to be able to live here if she fixes up the home. So there is clearly a lot to the story, and this is a perfect example why police don't go in when they're called and just remove someone from the house because they don't have that proof on who actually lives in the house. And that's why, like in this case, the woman has to go to court, get uh, an order of eviction, and uh, show prove that she owns the house and then evict the woman that lives there. So, and it, that's why there is a legal process and uh, it would take 30 days to get her out. So clearly there is a lot to this story. Uh, we would like to take a look at that lease and we plan to um, after we send it back to you. All right, Taryn, so we know why the police won't get involved in this kind of thing. What about attorneys? I got to believe it's very difficult for either one of them to get an attorney because they're cash strapped in the first place, which is why they're living under the same roof. Well, yes, Heidi told us that she can't afford an attorney. She put everything into this house, um, and uh, right now she can't even afford to move anywhere, let alone pay for legal fees. But she said she needs one because she there's no reason why there should be a lien against the property. In fact, that lien is in that woman's name, the, uh, the supposed squatter here. So a lot of this stuff happening while she was gone. She said when she returned home, you know, there was a lot of changes to this house, stuff that she did not approve. So it sounds like it's going to be quite a legal battle and uh you're right she wishes she could afford an attorney right now back to you all right taryn asher reporting to us all right now there are a lot this is what this water it's a global thing but uh and that that story took place in detroit but yeah basically squires are people housing illiterate they're housing illiterate they have a scarcity mindset, and they don't see the available abundance of housing that is available for them to legally get into. So with a scarcity mindset uh, and low self-esteem on top of that, because of the scarcity mindset, you know, I won't try to get mine. I'm going to take yours. All right. Now, the the landlord, or the in this case not landlord, but the owner of the property, she's housing illiterate too, uh, because she doesn't know the applicable laws. At least at the time of this this story, she didn't know the applicable laws on how to legally get the woman out. Now you can. A, you can, as we heard, she didn't have the money to hire an attorney. And if she did her own pro se legal work, you know, that, that can cost money. Now, there is another op- option that might work. You can attempt to educate a squatter out of your house. But sometimes, many times, um, you might not be successful in doing that, but let me put it on the table. Let me put it on the table. The solution, the it's my house solution to if you have to be out of a house by the first, if you want to avoid eviction or foreclosure by whatever date, here's my suggestion. Don't fight it. Now that that typically that's people's plan A, B, and C. But let me let me fight them this way. Let me go to legal neighborhood services this way. 
Let me go to some kind of government agency. This, you know, forget it. Here's an, and then landlords and property owners. You know, you call the police. Uh, you go to landlord to save your money. The solution that I'm suggesting is, particularly for the person that is facing foreclosure or eviction, my solution is this. Change your mindset and build the house. Build your own place. Now, I already know, automatically know what most people are thinking. I don't know how to build a house. I'm not a carpenter. I'm not this. I don't know anything about the building trades. That's okay. That's why this podcast is here. And I'm going to have to hire somebody because the way we do podcasts, we have to add a visual onto it, which we'll be doing this week, is here are the fundamentals. Here are the fundamentals. Just take this and run with it for the day. The basic fundamentals of house building, and I didn't say, and there's a distinction between home building and house building. That's another discussion. Is when it comes to house building, here are the fundamentals that you need to learn. <clears throat> Foundations, floor framing, wall framing, and roof framing. Now, there's more involved, but let's just start with those four fundamentals. Foundations, because they're different type of foundations. Floor framing, wall framing, and roof framing. The type of housing that we're going to be getting into is basically off-grid, off-the-grid housing. Well, we're going to address electrical and plumbing in a, in, a, in a different fashion. But for now, fundamentally, day one in class, is, and that's where we had to start doing videos and then putting them online and then doing live, live stream, seeing this stuff in action. And then some of you that are listening to this podcast can probably be there on site when we do some of this stuff. But foundations, wall, I mean, floor framing, wall framing, and roof framing. Property owners are landlords. Like I say, if you, if maybe you can talk or educate this squatter into doing their own thing instead of paying that lawyer retainer fee. or converting that squatter into a paying customer by building an affordable rental for that squatter. That's a possibility, too. Yesterday, I went to Lowe's, and I ordered um, building materials for foundations, for a foundation that we're going to, put up online here this week uh, as we do the podcast live stream then you'll be able to go to the, the, the uh, Facebook site we have where you can see this on a day step by step basis on a daily basis uh, and the type of house 
that we're, we're we'll be building is I, I call it a, a Walden Pond House. I got the building plans for um, David Thoreau's thing on Walden Pond, the house that he actually built. So that that's not a big house. So ours is about probably 150 square feet. 150 square feet. And I know a lot of you think, well, that's too small. Well, I'm six foot eight. I'm six foot eight. So if I'm comfortable with it, I'm just saying, okay. So this is places big enough for at least two people. Anyway, so I went to a, a big box store yesterday, ordered the uh, the stuff I need for the foundation. Cost me, um, I'm going to put it at $350. It actually costs less than that, but I ordered a few, you know, a few boards of this and, you know, give me a couple more of those just to have a little extra on the side in case I need it. Okay. So they're supposed to deliver. I don't know what time they're going to deliver it tomorrow, but when they deliver it tomorrow, you know, I'll videotape and then, then we'll we'll lay out literally step one of the kind of foundation because uh, then we're going to go into the different distinctions of foundations and why what kind of foundation I'm doing for this this Walden Pond house um, and so on. Now, since we're here today. Why 150 square feet? But why the Walden House? Well, first thing, the Walden House, Walden Pond House, is an off-the-grid house. Here are the reasons why I, I, I like, in, in, in the industry, they're called net zero energy homes. These are homes that don't have utility bills. One of the reasons why squatters become people become squatters or end up in eviction court, landlord tenant court, rent court is because they're essentially household energy illiterate and housing illiterate. Housing is a technology. A lot of people don't think about it that way. I mean. When you hear the word technology, we hear, you know, we think about our cell phones, smartphones, tablets, computers, you know, maybe some uh, fancy gizmo car, I mean, car, automobile. But technology is much broader than that. But for the sake of this conversation, housing is a technology. And squatters or people who become squatters or facing eviction or facing foreclosure, are essentially illiterate when it comes to housing illiterate when it comes to the appropriate technology housing or appropriate housing technology. What is the appropriate technology for you, whoever's listening to this podcast? For instance, if you, not everybody, but on a critical mass basis, particularly people who have become squatters or struggling to pay. You know what? If you had to go out 
and work a job to pay for housing for 30 years or whatever, you're essentially, you're living in the inappropriate technology for the roof over your head. You should be in a position where if you get sick or don't want to work, your house will never be in jeopardy of you losing it. Now, one of the reasons, for instance, some of you out there, you have no business living in a 1,000-square-foot house, and that's not really a big house. That's not the appropriate technology for me. Number two is this, and here's the reason. Matter of fact, let me break this down. 1,000-square-foot house, whoever listens to this podcast, and the 150-square-foot house that I'm building, I'm 6'8", the Walden Pond House. With the 150-square-foot house, it doesn't cost that much to heat the house up during the winter or cool it off during the summer when it's hot. The bigger the place, the more expensive it is, the heat and cool off, the smaller the technology, the less less effort to cool it it off or heat it up. Thing is this. I don't want to have anything to do with the electric company, which is typically a monopoly in most places, the gas company, or municipal water. All three are typically monopolies in many of your urban areas. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Those are three paychecks, because a lot of you out there that are listening to this podcast, you're working two jobs, sometimes three. If you're married between a husband and wife, there are four paychecks coming in just to keep in your sales store. So with a zero net energy house, an off-the-grid house, the Walden Pond house that we're doing, number one, with 150 square feet is a whole lot cheaper than trying to heat up or cool off a 1,000 square foot or more square foot house. But if I'm off the grid, I'm not going to receive a a utility bill from the water company, gas company, or electric company. It's the appropriate technology with those three three right there. I mean, actually four, because the size of the house, I don't want no big walk-in. I'm six foot eight, man. I don't want want a walk-in closet. I don't want high ceilings. All that stuff that a lot of you, matter of fact, is October now, late October, we're about to go into November. In the northern states, some of you, within the next month, you're going to be hit with utility bills that you can't afford. So for the ones that are facing eviction, 
okay? And we're not going to get into it this week, but we'll be doing things offline where you'll actually, within five to seven days, you'll have a house built. Some of you, you have stuff built within a 24-hour period of time. All right. But in any event, the appropriate technology, some of you are living in the wrong, in the inappropriate technology, housing technology. You, you, you should not be living in that 1,000-square-foot house or bigger. Some of you probably need to be living in a 400-square-foot house. That's enough for a family. Others, two of you, a 150-square-foot house is good. All right? But anyway, the basic fundamentals, okay, of instead of you, you, you trying to be in a scarcity of mindset is instead of going to these government agencies and looking for entitlement programs and trying to demonize the property owner or the landlord, all right, you got to reinvent yourself. Your solution is, your final solution is owning your own home out. And we're talking about a 150-square-foot house. Tomorrow we'll have a video on how to do this, including land selection. So for the building part, here are the fundamental parts that you need to write down. You need to learn about foundations, floor framing, wall framing, and roof framing. All right. Now, like I said, yesterday I spent 350 bucks for floor, for foundation and floor framing. I probably had to spend about maybe 25 to 50 more for things like nails and screws and things like that. Probably, I probably won't spend that much, but I'm I'm you know, I'm but I'm putting it at 50 on that. And like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll do an audio on this. Now, we're budgeting. We can probably build this house for anywhere from about a thousand to $1,500. All right. Now I'm not a carpenter or, or, or a home builder or nothing like that. Um, I do suggest that um, you do get a carpenter or or somebody who's got some good carpentry skills, uh, but then but you have a budget for that too. But out of pocket, we'll probably spend. Um, Probably less than two thousand on 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 this one. Uh, now what we're going to do is we're going to play an audio now, which I've played on here several times before, if I can find it. On um, basically this uh, thing, this is a fourteen by fourteen square foot house. Um, That's 196 square feet. We're going to play an audio of this guy who built the 
hundred square ninety six foot square house for two thousand dollars. Large enough for two people, actually probably two or three people. Hi folks. In this video I'd like to talk about how to have a home with no house payments and no monthly utility bills. You may think that's not possible, but I do it, and lots of other people do it as well. I'm going to show you how it can be done, how it can be done very inexpensively, and just kind of a, give you some ideas for things that you can do that uh, society and uh, the economic powers that be don't want you to know. So stay with me for a second, and let me walk you through this. First, you need some land. This is my piece of land, which is under an acre, about three-fourths of an acre. And that's really all you need to take care of most of the needs you have and for running a small homestead. Now, I was lucky enough to get this piece of property uh, from family. It was uh, willed to me when my father passed away. But I have also purchased small pieces of property like this for under $400. I have an acre down in uh, Arizona, near Sholo, Arizona, that I purchased for under $400. I have five acres near El Paso, Texas, that I purchased for under $700. So it's very easy to find a piece of land if you do some looking around. eBay is a good source for finding land. Tax sales are a good source for finding land. Uh, family members may want to sell off a piece of land. Go around looking in rural areas, and maybe you'll find a farmer that wants to split off a small piece of land and would gladly sell you one. You don't have to spend a lot of money on land. Okay, This is land that doesn't have utilities run to it. Uh, it doesn't have a blacktop road that runs into it or driveway. It's rough land. That's what you start with usually if you want to buy a small piece of land that you're going to homestead on. After you have your piece of land, then you're going to have to have a house. You can have a big house like most people live in, and you can pay a lot of money for it and have a mortgage and be a slave to the system for another 30 years, or you can decide if you'd like to build a smaller house like mine. Paid for with cash. This is my solar cabin. The cabin cost me $2,000 to build. That does not include the doors and windows which I salvaged off of a trailer that was being torn down. For the cabin, it cost me $2,000. It is 14 by 14. Downstairs is living area, dining area, bathroom, kitchen. Upstairs, I have a loft bedroom and an office. In my other videos, I take you on a complete walkthrough of this cabin, so watch those if you want to see how the cabin is uh, as large as it is and functional on the inside. Up there on my roof, you see my solar panels. That's a 350-watt solar system that provides all of my electricity needs for lights, TVs, water pumps, all miscellaneous gadget, laptop TV, run my vacuum, and everything else off of a 350-watt system. That 350-watt system cost me under $3,000. $2,000 for the cabin, $3,000 for the power system of solar electricity, and I use propane. I have a propane tank in the back of the cabin, and I have a propane furnace, fridge, stove, and on-demand water heater, and those cost me just about $200 for an entire year. And we have cold winters here, folks under $200 for an entire year for all of my propane. That is the only utility bill I have. I do not pay for electricity. 
I do not pay for water because I drilled my own water well. Before I drilled my own water well, though, I hauled water in. But drilling a water well on a piece of property is not that hard. You can either do it yourself or hire somebody to do it. So I have no monthly utility bills. I have a house that's completely paid for. And I have freedom. A freedom that you can't get when you're under the pressure of a mortgage and utility bills. I want you to take just a minute and think about what you could do with your life if you had no house payments and no utility bills. And I'm telling you, it is completely possible. I'm not going to go into any details of how to get out of the house that you're in. You're going to have to figure that out and talk to some professionals for some help that way. All I'm here to do is tell you it's completely possible. Now, some of you are looking at the cabin and saying, yeah, but I couldn't possibly live in anything that small. This cabin was designed specifically for additions to be built on any of three sides. As you can see, the cabin has no windows on any of the three sides. There is a window in the back door glass. The sides are 14 by 14. The cabin was built to have uh, shed additions built on all three sides. This cabin is 400 square feet approximately inside with 200 square foot footprint. When you add on additions, you could add on an additional 400 square feet on either side and off the back, giving you anywhere from 800 to 1,200 square feet. The great thing about building a small cabin to start out with, though, is it gives you a place to live when you build on your additions. And that way you can wait and live very cheaply without any house payments or utility bills. And then when you have the money, you can build on the additions to expand the cabin. That's very good for a single person or a young couple who don't have children because you don't need a whole lot of space to start off with. This way you can save for it, build on as you want to, have the additions, uh, have the extra room if that's what you want. Now I live full time in this cabin. I live by myself, but my girlfriend comes up here on the weekends and we stay together. And let me tell you, it's perfectly comfortable. We don't feel cramped at all. And we, we'd much rather have a small place like this. It takes a lot less money to heat. It takes a lot less money to cool. It's a lot easier to clean. Uh, it's just a, a fantastic home. Now, I'm not trying to push you into building a home exactly like mine. I'm just trying to provide you with some ideas. If you wanted to come up with different ideas, a different plan, that's, that's just fine by me. But if you are interested in learning how to build a home like mine, I do have an e-book available and a printed book available called Simple Solar Homesteading. Go to www.simplesolarhomesteading.com. You can learn how to build a cabin like mine or at least get some great ideas for building your own home. Now I want to repeat. I own my land. I have a house that I built for under $2,000. I have a solar electric system that I have for under $3,000. I use propane, which costs me under $200 a year. I have no house payments. I have no utility bills. If you want a life like this, it is very possible. You can stop listening to the media, and you can stop being put under society's pressures to live in the type of houses that everyone tells you you have to live in. You can live very inexpensively, and you can do this at an age, at any age, whether you're older or younger. If you're younger and you start in a place like this, imagine the amount of money that you would have to retire on with no house payments, no utility bills, and freedom. Thank you for joining me, folks. Please watch the rest of my videos for more detailed information on each of the systems and a complete walkthrough of the cabin. All right, now, his place is... 14 by 14, we're, we're doing 100 and, uh, 150 square feet. We have other projects where we'll be doing, I think the smallest one we'll be doing is 
the smallest of what we call a house will be 56 square feet. Now, what I see as a house has got a sleeping area, living area, bathroom, and kitchen, 56 square feet. With big enough for two people to sleep in. So the Walden Pond one we'll be doing is 100, that's 150 square feet to the, uh, you know, we have other things that we'll be doing. Everything we're doing is like, you may as well consider extreme housing. But we'll be telling you where, where you can do all this stuff legally. Uh, in the United States as well as on a global basis. Uh, But our solution, going back to the headline for today, if you have to be out of wherever you're at by the first, if you want to avoid eviction or foreclosure, our solution, I'm calling the final solution for housing is, you know what? Concentrate your efforts and your time and money on building your own. Don't get grandiose with your thinking. Because there's a lot of you out there listening. Every six months or every every three to six months, every year at least, you're moving to some place. And you've been doing this for God knows how many years. You, some of the people that some you, you keep keeping these a lot of these people who have shelters, you're keeping these shelters in business because you're a repeat customer. It's interesting about a lot of your homeless ministries, and I'm not really knocking homeless ministries because they're they're set up in different ways. Some homeless ministries. Or outreaches, you know, feed you, some clothe you, uh, some, you know, uh, give you inspiration and all that. They do everything but teach you how to have a permanent home. It's interesting they don't teach you any carpentry classes. We do. The final the solution, instead of fighting it, instead of fighting a landlord or property owner, Learn how to build your own house. Start small. And, you know, if you've been set out or you've been facing eviction or if you're a squatter, that's why I'm bringing up the term appropriate housing technology. 99.9% of the time you're living in a place that is too big for your budget. You can't afford to live in a thousand dollar square foot house or apartment. I'm not even gonna get into the two, three, four thousand square foot plus house. I don't have to order McMansions or something like that. Some of you can't afford to live in a three hundred square foot place. Because you've never been taught how to. hundred and fifty that that's why the tops for us. Teaching people is 150 square foot house. Where when you build it, it's yours. 
You don't have it now, and it'll be powered with electricity. Now it won't be from a local power company. And for some of you, this, like I said, it, a lot of people, this is I don't know. I'm the thing is extreme. So, uh, but a lot of people do it. But like I say, it, it, it's hey, this is you don't have to fight. That's all I'm saying. And land, and for the property owners, landlords, now this is a wild, this is a hail mary that you can educate a squatter or a non-paying uh, renter or or, or, or non-paying or slow-paying renter into something because this podcast and and what we're doing this week and what we'll be doing on a regular daily basis going into 2019 is. I had a squatter, and it was five years ago. I said, you know, because her father was a contractor, or is a contractor. I don't know. I don't keep up with these people. But he was the, at the time, he was a contractor, and she had a brother-in-law. She got kicked out of his house, too. He was a contractor. Home improvement. Now, here you have, at close range, two contractors. So I put the suggestion out there because she was an administrative assistant secretary. I said, why don't you guys start a business, you run it, do the secretarial work, and first thing, they build you a house. That's the first thing. I said, they build you a house. And then y'all can keep the business going, and they were already doing home improvement, and, and build houses for other people. You know, they can make millions off of that. But her mind is a mind of, as with many people, a mind of scarcity and housing illiteracy and married to the government psychologically and emotionally. So essentially, I'm doing what I told her to do, and maybe the maybe the message was, was for me anyway. That's what I'm doing. So anyway, tomorrow what we'll do is like so we'll we'll uh, when it, when the uh, the equipment for the floor the foundation and the floor comes in, we'll videotape and put it up on Facebook uh, along with the receipt. I, like I said, I spent three fifty for foundation materials and flooring materials, and that's for extra. I ordered a little bit extra more than I needed, and still only three hundred and fifty dollars. So now I'm going to spend more. Uh, you know, not more, but I, you know, when we do the uh, what do you call it? Because um, like I said, the, the fundamentals are foundations, floor framing, wall framing, and roof framing. Those are fundamentals. We'll get into the, the you know how to power the stuff along with uh, plumbing and all. Because we're doing all off-grid stuff, off-grid plumbing, uh, off-grid uh, electric, you know, but you'll be able to, you know, use your computer, have the place lit. Here's another thing about a 150-square-foot place house. You know, the bigger the rooms, you know, just the physics of lighting, you know, light has to travel further 
in a thousand square foot house. Well, you know what? Let's say this is a thousand square foot room, and let's compare it to a hundred and fifty square foot room. All right, the light has to travel further. You know, if I take a hundred watt light bulb, this a hundred watt light bulb, and put it in a thousand square foot a room, the room's going to be dim, dark. Well, not dark, but dim. All right. However, if I put it that same light bulb in a hundred and fifty square foot room, the light has doesn't have to travel as far, has less to bounce off of. Therefore, I have a lot more light. So, like I said, we're, that's what we have to start doing the videos. I got to hire somebody to do that uh, and help with the you know live streams, and we're gonna have to do live stream visual part, I mean, vlogs, some people, because there's only so much you can do by just listening like we're doing right now. So uh, in any event, uh, we'll roll it out so you can see what you can see uh, tomorrow. But like I say, 350, if you're going to evict somebody, landlord or owner, if you go, instead of hiring that attorney with a, with a 1000 or $2,000 retainer, do like I did yesterday. I went I went to Lowe's and bought me $350 worth of foundation and flooring material. Now, when it comes in, we'll, we'll videotape that, have it up on Facebook so you can see it. I'll have the receipt, which I have on my thing, which I'll have up online tomorrow, which you can see it during the podcast. And... Um, because it's a lot less expensive. Like I say, it's a Hail Mary, but if you can educate a tenant or a squatter out, that might be a solution for some. 407, your mic is open. Good morning, L.A. Thank you for the show. Um, I was just thinking about um, last night I did a show on addictions, and, uh, you know, Part of the process to uh, help people move into smaller living spaces is going to have to be uh, or should be uh, some some teachings on uh, addictions. Because I, I realize I'm writing my book, uh, almost done with my book, Downsizing is a Bitch. And it's going to, the subtitle, I was just thinking as you were talking, the subtitle will be um, Guidelines for Getting Rid of Your Stuff. So because people are so addicted to the American way of living lifestyle that you consume, 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 and then until you have no room that you open a storage unit. That's why storage units are, are cropping up everywhere in my city. It's a new storage place every other uh, block. So um, when I look at the reality of people's thinking and, and their values and their perceptions, you're going to have to have some type of uh, aid or assistance to help people let go of their stuff and downsize because they're addicted to their stuff. So you can't put all your stuff in a, a 160 square feet or a, a 400 square feet even. Some people are so uh, cluttered that they can't even get all their stuff in a 400 square feet. So it occurs to me my book will be out soon. And uh, I hope that maybe you'll utilize it in your classes of building a house on how to let go of your stuff because that's the biggest, one of the biggest challenges people are having 
is downsizing and letting go and 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 letting go of the American dream, the two-car garage where most people don't even put their cars in their garage. They've got their garages filled with stuff. It's not even about cars. It's just getting making room for your stuff. So we have an addiction problem, not just with sex and, and uh, food and all the other things, people, drugs and cigarettes. We got our addiction problem with stuff because people are the consumers. So I just thought I'd add that in for you to think about. Um, there's got to be some uh, process. There's got to be some help for people who are addicted to their stuff. Well, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it is an addiction. That's the correct term. It's an addiction. Uh, Westerners, including Americans, have an addiction. Their addiction to stuff is just as detrimental as their anybody's addiction to alcohol, crack cocaine, heroin, any kind of narcotic, food, or throw in sex too. It's an addiction. And uh, that addiction, people, couples have fights over stuff. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> people have. They have fights over stuff. You know, how come we can't have the big screen TV? Or how come, you know, or uh, we are really addicted to stuff. There are people listening to this podcast. You have a closet full of shoes, a big closet full of shoes, of which 80 to 90% of those shoes you don't even wear. Right. Clothes. You wear clothing uh the the um matter of fact a lot of people are sick because of their consumption addiction. Yeah. But Especially it, the clothes really that, is, you know, people hang on to clothes they haven't worn in five years, but they gotta have their their closet full of clothes collecting dust and they don't even wear the clothes because they haven't been disciplined enough to go once a year to say, if I haven't worn this item all year, I probably don't need it, so I should give it away. Don't even try and sell yourself. People get caught up in, oh, I'm going to make money. if I say, No, no, no. Just give it away and expect a blessing from the universe because you have let go of something you don't even need, but maybe some thrift store can sell it for a dollar or two because that's what thrift stores are really good at, taking your old stuff and then putting a price tag on it and people buy it. But there's no sense to keep it in your closet if you're not using it. And then the dust accumulating, spider webs coming in, all that. It just makes for a very sick environment, unhealthy environment, and then your body is going to be affected by that unhealthy, cluttered, uh, hoarded environment. If you ever watched a hoarding show, you know how sick people get mentally as well as physically. So it's going to affect their health. we got to have a, a, a guideline or a guidance, education, knowledge that helps people see your health will be affected by your insistence on keeping a lifestyle that's not even serving you, that you're not even utilizing all your stuff. So uh, we definitely have to take that into consideration when you talk about downsizing into a small space. There, uh, as a matter of fact, there need to be some support groups. I, I don't know. I haven't looked for them, but I will now. But uh... There needs to be some uh, support groups out here like AA, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, Narcotics Anonymous, because the biggest addiction out here is stuff uh, stuff addiction. 
people, I mean, uh, people taking too much medication, people who have too many clothes in their house, people who have um, uh, uh, too much uh, just clutter in their life. But you're right, well, you're there's, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of help LA on YouTube. People, I, that's what I love about YouTube. I spend more my my the end of my day is going to YouTube, seeing what's new, who's loading up new information, and there's a lot of people offering help for uh, that type of thing. In fact, I'm thinking I need to do a YouTube, start doing YouTube for that. Maybe become a support for people after my book is out to promote that. Well, let me ask you this now. You used to live, you live in what, a 186-square-foot house right now? 160. Oh, excuse me. All right, you live in a 160-square-foot house. Now, you also lived in a big house. So what was the biggest house you, you lived in? Uh, you know, I'm almost forgetting. It was all, it was about over two thousand square feet. Four bedrooms, two bath, two bath, three bath, four bedrooms, three bath house, and a pool. So it was over two thousand. So now, feet. how did you transition from a two thousand square foot house? Was that two thousand square feet is that's considerable size? Well, no. you know, the With first the nudge, when you've been in a marriage for, well, I was married for 38, well, I was with my ex for 38 years. But when you finally uh, reach a point where that conflict ends, you don't want to have, you want to have peace in your life. So for me, that was the first thing that in, encouraged and inspired me to give up the space, give up the stuff, because I wanted peace in my life now. Now that the marriage was over, I have, we found resolution. We had, you know, go our separate ways. Very peaceful divorce. It was like all divine guidance. I was like in a place of ready to let go of anything that wasn't going to serve me in a peaceful way. So I think that that's how I start my book, in fact, describing the metaphysical, the spiritual things that come into our life that are telling us, do change the way you live your life. So that that was the big one, I think, for me to let go of all that space, all that stuff. To live, I wanted, especially at my age as a senior citizen now, I don't want to hold on to things that are not serving me to live a peaceful, abundant, life, healthy life. When you look at the people who have died in your life, the people who are sick in your life, if you're conscious and awake, you want to make changes to avoid those things because those people in your life teach you lessons. So that's kind of how my book is, is the, the theme of my book is uh, not so much how to downsize, but why to downsize and all the lessons that you can learn and all the, well, the uh, guidance you get okay. spiritually. Well, let, me, let me ask you this. All right. All right. So you were at 2,000 square feet. Then you downsized. To, what was your move from there? 900. 900 square feet. Okay. Yeah, that, how, how that, was, that was costly. I, I realized that from 2,000 square feet to 900, it was costly to stay in 900. I'm like, oh, I can't afford this. So, uh, you know, it is a matter of managing your funds and figuring out how you, being on my own once for, in the first time in my life in almost 40 years, it's like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to manage this? So it, you become very conscious of everything. Uh, bringing everything into balance. Okay, so you went from 900 square feet to 160 square feet. Yeah. Now, how with a, how was that? 
How psychologically, how was that transition? Well, that was the bitch part of my book, Downsizing is a Bitch, because you, you want to hold on to all these things that have memories with them and that were a part of your life for a long period of time. So it be, it became making hard choices as whether to let go of these things and what to do with them. And so that's what why I started writing this book, because it was a long process for a whole year, basically, of how am I going to get from 900 to 160? And it became a mental, spiritual, physical exercise of valuing, setting values, and, and adjusting your belief system to what is really important now at this stage of your life. Well, okay. Now, now you're at 160 square feet, so you, which, which is what they call a tiny house. You have a throw, tiny house on wheels. So you have no mortgage family. If I'm correct, right? Because you right. Need, right. Number two, what what's your electric bill monthly? If you don't mind sharing that, about thirty bucks, thirty dollars. Thirty dollars. Uh, water bill. I don't have a water bill. It's included in my rent because my two hundred and thirty dollar rent because the the owner of the land has a well, and so he includes. Um, I, I'm on five acres with a well that provides water to all the residents. So he includes that in the rent, which is 230 a month for the land. So I'm basically helping him pay his well, land. His well, real you, own, you own your house. You hold, right. own your house outright 100%. Uh, you pay a ground rent of 230 bucks a month, and then your electric bill is only $30 a month. So people see that's what we're talking about. She owns her house. Now, you bought a very, something very important that I want to emphasize right now. There's a distinction between a house, H-O-S-C, and a home. When you were in the 900-square-foot house, and here's where a lot of people get caught up. The things that you were, you know, deciding on, whether, that you had an emotional attachment with, that was a part of your home. But the home and a house are two different things. The house is a physical location. Home is like the emotional thing. All right. So, and a lot of people, when when they find it hard to move, this is part of their addiction. You know, just remember, the home is an emotional thing. You can carry. I mean, if you grated bacon cookies and people like to come home to you. For your baked cookies, oatmeal cookies, whatever the hell they are, you know, then you, it's just you can get those baked cookies. The home has just changed another physical location, but it's still intact. All right. So, but a, a lot of people like to say it, it, it's don't don't. And after the, in the movie Ninety Nine Homes, there was one scene where the you know sheriff showed up, the realtor showed up. And the father of the house basically killed. He killed his whole family because they had they had to move out. It was moving day. So the father killed his wife, killed the kids, and then turned the gun on himself uh, because he didn't want to move out of it. Look, man, your home—you killed your home when you killed your family. The home, aka the family, can get another house somewhere else. That's why I'm saying it might not be the only solution. 
But I think the best solution, if you're facing the first of the month deadline, or out by this weekend deadline, or even out by tomorrow, because we're, we're going to have workshops. That's why I said we, we've sort of like maxed out on the, the audio podcast to a, a large extent, where, okay, you got to have something. Matter of fact, you got to have something to live in by sundown. We'll have workshops for that. Or you got to have something by tomorrow night and workshops on that. We're, we're going through different scenarios. Well, and, but, you know, you L.A., know, the blessing, I want mm-hmm. to just share the blessing out of all this, this process I went through is that I now have two homes that are larger than I could ever want that I barter for. Uh, I, I befriended someone who lost their husband, and so now I have a room at her house whenever I want to stay in the, in the city, uh, which is an hour over an hour away. And I bartered to clean another vacation house where nobody lives, and I can stay there for free uh, when I want to as long as I keep it clean. So that's like a, a three-bedroom, two-bath house, maybe a 1,000 or 1,500-square-foot house. So the blessing out of letting go of your stuff is that the universe, I think, brings you Whatever you need in the work that you're doing to bring about a change or balance or peace or whatever your mission is, so that all the fear and worry about, oh, I have to stay in this 160 square feet all my life, and, you know, what if I want to do change? What if I need more space? It just shows up because uh, we make the decision to not hold on to stuff and to be uh, addicted to well, things. You, you give up, of, you, uh, I mean, I mean, you got plenty of room now because, like I said, you got a free and clear 160-foot square house, and then you got these, uh, you know, these two other locations right, that are regular-sized right. houses. So, uh, and the lesson in that is, which is another podcast, on social capital. You don't have to go to social services. Because you know how to be social and respectable and nice to people, and when you when real social security people has nothing to do with the government, has nothing to do with the government. If being nice goes a long way, so yeah, because all these people who are clutterers and hoarders they need help, and when you're ready to let go of your addiction and yourself and reach out and help somebody else, that door opened wide for me. It's like, I'm ready to help you now. What do you need help with? It's cleaning this house. Okay. And then just start bartering. Okay, I'll clean your house for you. I'll stay here a couple of weeks. I'll use your – and one of my houses has a jacuzzi and a pool. So I have free access to the jacuzzi, huge jacuzzi, huge pool, because I let go and I started working on my own addiction and let go of my stuff. And then these doors open up for you when you let go of your addictions and heal your energy and then the energy that you have healed begins to attract other opportunities for you to have a really joyful and peaceful life, helping other people do the same thing. Now, one more point I want to cover, both the appropriate technology of housing. Now with your 150 square foot house, because maintenance is a lot of, a lot of people don't factor in maintenance. Compare maintenance on your new house versus your 2,000-square-foot house. Well, it's night and day. Well, as long as you have a quality builder on the house, then you're not going to have everything, you know, things falling apart that quickly. 
and the things that do need replacing or repairing are minimal. As you know, talking, I haven't had to spend anything other than painting. I painted the wood on the house. That was, what, a $10 gallon of paint. So um, depending on the builder, you go, if you build have a quality builder, your house will be strong. It will withstand. I've been through two hurricanes so far, no problems. Uh, and so the house, the maintenance is minimal uh, because the quality of material and construction is there. Whereas my other, the other house, that house was like years old. No, yeah. It was actually about 20 years old. So the maintenance started piling up. Roof, the roof had to be replaced. That's, a, that's up to now $10,000 people pay to replace their roof or more, depending on the size of the house. So just the roof alone can give you uh, into uh, over 10000 in expenses these days, especially living in Florida during hurricane season. You never know. So the, the expenses, they're not even, there's no comparison to the expenses on a two, 3000 square foot house compared to 160 You can have a savings account to take care of all the maintenance and expenses, a small savings yeah, less than $1,000. Exactly. And you know what? That's a, a, a good item to pick out because for what you for what you uh, can put a roof on a regular house, right. essentially you know, you can build one. Now, like right. what, what we're going to do going into 2019, we're, we're going to take basic problems like out by Friday, or we, we're going to take personal problems and use. Basically, how you can solve these by building, building, even if you're not going to move into it, building structures uh, that you can rent out, sell, what have you, to solve those problems. On that note, thank you, Viata, for your commentary on that. We will see you guys tomorrow. Hopefully, the delivery will be in, and then we'll go through that.